A star-spanning saga of ancient magic and deep science, vividly told by a modern master, says Dave Gibbons. Kelly Sue DeConnick states, the kind of epic you crave, both noun and adjective. And that doesn't even quite capture Liam Sharp's astonishing scope and vision. There's magic in these pages. Matt Fraction calls it jaw-dropping and epic and massive. He also says this is a gorgeous and incredible and massive swing for the stars that declares his ambitions have taken him to some exciting and undiscovered territories. Bravo, congrats, cheers, and exhale. This is glorious. What are they all talking about? Liam Sharp's upcoming six-issue series, Starhenge, from Image Comics. Liam himself says of the series, I wanted to do my own Image comic for 30 years. I wanted to do a Merlin comic for even longer than that. This is a culmination of so many dreams and ambitions of mine finally being realized, and that makes it the most exciting and personal comic project I've ever done. I can't wait to see it on the shelves. It's also been described as a mashup of the Green Knight and Terminator with all the Arthurian legends, time travel, and killer robots that entails, plus Merlin, Magic, and Mayhem. The first issue debuts in comic shops on July 6th, with final order cut off on June 13th. So now's the time to tell your retailers to order you a copy. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace, here to talk about a new book coming out on August 3rd. I have the writer joining me. She's here to tell us all about Dead Lucky. Melissa Flores, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to talk about the book. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. You were uh, gracious enough to share uh, an advanced copy of issue number one. I read it. I was blown away. There's a lot of things about Dead Lucky that really speak to me. Part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show. The other part of the reason I wanted to talk about it, uh, this is going to be part of the massive verse, which yes, you know, we've got Kyle Higgins, Radiant Black, which kicked it off. We've got Rogue Sun from Ryan mm-hmm. Parrott. Ryan was just on uh, talking about that book. That's amazing. We have Matt Groom's book, Inferno Girl Red, which is uh, underway. We've got yeah. Radiant Red from Cherish Chen. It's a whole big family. You're a part of it. Tell me what it's like to have your first image book uh, imminently about to hit comic shops. Um, Honestly, it's surreal. It hasn't really hit me yet. Um, I fell in love with comics uh, a little later than most, I think. Um, But to be able to be part of the image family, especially part of the massive work and be able to continue working with uh, amazing people like Ryan and Kyle and Matt and Michael and new people like Cherish um, is Really humbling um, because I've been a producer for so long that this is a relative new career shift for me. I've always been a writer, but never professionally until the last couple of years. So to be able to have this be my first book, um, have it mean so much to me personally, but also have it be a part of such an incredible universe that Kyle and the team are building. It's it's pretty special. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know if I quite deserve it, but I'm doing my damnedest to make sure I do. <laughs> well, based on the quality of the first issue, I'd say well-deserved. Uh, but I, 
I want to kind of focus on that a little bit here before we dive yeah. into some specifics on the book. Obviously, everybody, we're not going to go spoilers because we want you to check it out yourself. Um, but Kyle is really, you know, now that he's moved away from doing Power Rangers, he's kind of moved away from doing work at the the big two. You know, he did Darkhawk not that long ago at Marvel, but he's yeah. really kind of establishing his own stuff, which he's been doing for quite a while now. But not not only as a writer, but also as, as an editor, he can almost do a producer role himself where he's Mm -hmm. looking to people he's worked with in the past, people that have talent. And he really seems to have an eye for kind of elevating people who, you know, may not have been able to break through all the noise. We know how many comics are out there, Uh, but he's got such a great eye for talent. So talk a little bit about that transition and and Kyle approaching you and, and uh, we'll get into why this was the story, uh, you know, to, to, to be the first thing that you put out there. Yeah. Well, so Kyle and I first met when we were both working on Power Rangers. I was the director of development for Power Rangers for about 10 years or so, first for Saban Brands and then for Hasbro. So all that really means is that if there was a story about Power Rangers, um, chances are my team or my group you know, the people, the department I was in would take a look at it. And our job was basically just to make sure that it fit within the brand parameters and best represented the brand for that medium. And comics were relatively new to us in terms of formal licensing perspective. And Boom brought this really interesting perspective. And Kyle specifically um, brought this really amazing perspective where he, up until then, all the publishing we were getting was more for a younger set, a little different. And Boom wanted wanted to do something a little older and Kyle specifically wanted to do something a little older. And he said something to me that always struck with me and I never forgotten. He's like, I'm writing Power Rangers, not the way it was, but the way it made me feel. And I remember being so impressed by that and impressed by the, the quality that he was bringing to the books. And um, because it was my job to work on the books with our uh, licensing team and with Boom, I got to really get to know him. And through that, eventually we became friends, which is great. And that friendship uh, managed to work into other projects. We, I, we worked on a video game together. We worked on a short film that he produced called Shattered Grid for the comic books together. And we just got really close through that relationship. And so when I ended up leaving Hasbro, he knew that I was just kind of overplaying in somebody else's lines. Like I enjoy doing that and I have fun with it. I have a big, like I'm a big fan of licensing and everything you can do with it, but I kind of wanted to tell my own stories and I kind of wanted to be my own writer. Um, Cause that was obviously not my job when I was a producer. My job as a producer is to help guide somebody else's stories, not tell them. Um, and he is just a great support in that way. He's always, he's a very big fan of sharing success if that makes sense. And so he always talked to me about reading black. I always really loved his universe. He, you know, every issue I got to read it and give my opinion. And so as it was getting bigger and bigger, we had lunch one day and he's like, Hey, you want to pitch me a superhero book? And I was like, yeah, I do. Of course I do. Um, I love superheroes. It's been in my blood for 10 years. Um, and so he's like, well, just think of a city and think of a superhero and come to me about it and let me know what you come up with. And I did. Hey, and that's basically, he's like, great. Love it. We talked about it. Um, developed it a little more, um, hooked up with some amazing people for art. And then before we knew it, I had a pitch and, and then I had a book 
Yeah, so. that's, that's amazing. So before, you know, you mentioned you'd always been a writer, uh, you know, maybe not professionally. So were any of the ideas that eventually became the dead lucky, like how much of that were ideas that you kind of had percolating in the back of your mind and how much was kind of discovered once Kyle sort of, you know, gave you that little uh, kickstart? It was all pretty much discovered brand new. Like this was a world that I created specifically for the massive verse. Um, greatly inspired by, and we'll and probably get into that, greatly inspired by things that were very personal to me and things that I was dealing with at the time. But the world that BB inhabits was all a world that I made specifically for Dead Lucky. Um, everything else that I've done usually it's, it's because I, th- I think I've done so much work in terms of like as a producer project base, as soon as I leave it, I leave it behind. So everything I work is usually brand new. And so Dead Lucky is, I can't really think of anything that was sitting around in me for a long time other than just the, the general inspiration. Got it, got it. Well, let's talk a little bit about, about the book. You may not have your uh, elevator pitch down. You know, you haven't, obviously the book's not out there yet. You haven't done shows and done signings and whatnot, but yeah. if someone were to come up to you and say, Hey, I hear you have a book coming out. What's it about? What you, have, Do you have a spiel yet? I'll yeah. Yeah. The dead lucky is about a U.S. Army veteran who lost most of her platoon in Afghanistan and is struck with a significant amount of trauma and is forced to come home and discovers that the home that she loves, San Francisco, has been privatized by a company called Moro. And Moro is essentially a tech giant who wants to build San Francisco into the city of tomorrow, eliminate crime, eliminate homelessness, take it into this perfect utopia that is going to be the bastion of what the future will look like. Unfortunately, in doing that, they're pricing out uh, and kicking out a lot of the more less the less desirable elements of the city, which is, you know, homeless people, lower income, that kind of thing, and really creating a military state. And Bibi, who is dealing with a lot of personal trauma on her own, that's just not something she can stand for. And through mysterious reasons, she has these electrical powers and can use them to power mechs. And so she takes it upon herself to do something about that. Yeah. One of the things I was struck by, so I, I went to school in the San Francisco Bay area for college. So it, it has a you know very special place in my heart. And we'll talk about why you selected that in a second. But uh, before we get to that, uh, there's a lot of themes here, which are sort of relevant, you know, yeah. um, you know, these days, certainly in my lifetime, we've gone from, you know, the haves and the have nots that the, the disparity has become. You know, so much from now we talk about the, you know, the 1% that now holds like 99% of the, of the world's wealth. And so, I mean, this idea of a fascist state or a utopia, we're trying to make the world a better place, but really at the expense of the people who, you know, bake your bread and, you know, clean up your garbage and keep your streets safe and, you know, deliver your mail and that, that kind of thing. It's very relevant. How much of that were you aware of when you were developing the pitch or, or, was it just sort of um, unconscious on your part? No, I mean, this was absolutely meant to be a reflection of the world we're living in today, especially San Francisco. Um, My girlfriend grew up in San Francisco, so I myself don't have a personal story in San Francisco, but I've been there several times and I've heard her stories and I've I've been, you know, I've, I've seen the city and it was so interesting to me right when I was writing the book, I was seeing news reports about people leaving their car doors open because they just were so tired of their cars being broken into in the financial district and mm. how because of the pandemic uh, even the suburbs now are getting priced out and people can't afford to live 
where they used to because a lot of these tech entrepreneurs are leaving the city because they don't have to go into the office and now they're pricing out everybody in the suburbs where before you could afford to live even if you couldn't live in San Francisco and it's it's incredibly divisive. And the, I think one of the bigger issues is, is that you always have people who make these decisions for what they consider the greater good without actually having the people that it affects in the room to help make those decisions. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, not enough empathy go, going around, uh, especially in the people that, that make this. Again, they may have you know the best of intentions, but if you don't have that experience, you know, are you really the best person? And that kind of um, dovetails into the next question I, I wanted to talk to you about, which is Bibiana. You mentioned she's the soldier. She's lost her platoon, survivor's guilt, PTSD. You yourself never served. You talk about, there's a little essay in the back of the book, everybody. Make sure you read that as well. It yeah. gives a lot of insight into where Melissa's coming from uh, with the story. Um, your your partner has served. So obviously, you, you know, you have some context or a resource there. Yeah, how challenging was, how challenging is that to, to get right when you don't have the personal experience? I feel a tremendous amount of pressure um, to do this right because I don't want this to come off of Melissa's just trying to write a soldier book because she thinks she's hard. Um, this is more of a I would want to say it's more of a love letter to soldiers um, in a way that I don't feel is was politicizing, but instead of of an explore uh, from a writer's perspective exploring their experiences. And it's only because I have spent the last 10 years with my partner trying to understand where she's coming from on certain things. And I've come to the conclusion there are just some things I will never understand because I have not lived that experience. Um, I have lived a generally pretty blessed life. I grew up in the inner city of Los Angeles, but I went to a private school. I never had to worry about joining a gang. My family, I had two parents that I loved very much who loved me. I have a great family. I have had a genuinely pretty blessed life. Um, I've never had to go to war. I've never had to see things that maybe other people have seen. But the longer I'm with my partner, the more I understand how experiences and trauma do linger. And I've seen it firsthand. I mean, um, you know, the book is inspired very much by fights and arguments that I've had with not just my girlfriend, but other people, um, but other soldiers that I want so badly to be like, I understand. I'm a very empathetic person. I want to always be the person being like, I get where you're coming from. I feel it in my soul. But there's just some things are just like, no, you, you're a civilian. I'm a soldier. You're never going to get it. And this, I think, is my attempt to do so, especially um, it wasn't just my partner that inspired this, but I also, um, uh, her best friend committed suicide. Oh, that's um, horrible last year or and um incredibly lovely person um but he was a soldier as well and he had some some issues that he didn't really talk to anyone about and and uh again this is one of those things where i just i felt a need to explore that mindset of what are they dealing with that we're not paying attention to and even if we as partners can't understand where they're coming from, how, is, how can I support it? And how can I honor them? And uh, the dead lucky is kind of my answer to that. In yeah, Bibiana, I, yeah. Yeah, and I, I definitely got that, that sense. You know, Bibiana, I think she's a great POV character. And there, there's this, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a great sort of 
personality quirk that she has yeah. that really helps us to kind of understand where she's coming from and what's going on in her head. But I, that sense of empathy, I think you really nailed because it does kind of permeate the book. And there's just, there's a, a vulnerability to Bibiana that you really balanced extremely well with this sense of, I don't think she's somebody I'd want to mess with. Like there's, yeah. there's an inner strength to her that comes across, but yet obviously there's, there's things she's dealing with and your artist. Um, and I hope I pronounce his name, right. French Carla Magno. Is that, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, I think Carla, so. <laughs> Carla Magno. Uh, yeah, he, he's amazing. The, yeah. yeah. The line work and the emotionality, especially in the faces and the body language uh, is, is very, very uh, appropriate for, for the story that you're telling. So was he somebody Kyle suggested, like, how did he become involved in the? Yeah. Podcast? Well, French, um, French worked on Power Rangers uh, as well. He did some books for Power Rangers. And so when we were looking for an artist, um, the actual design of BB's costume, which I specifically asked for, I wanted very much to have to be a Calavera and a Sugar Skull inspired design is from an artist called Federico Sabatini, who's amazing. Um, He just wasn't available. Um, And French is the artist we really wanted to take this with. And thankfully we had worked together on Power Rangers and seen what he can do. And he had already done some stuff on Radiant Black, including uh, issue 12. And it just was a perfect marriage of uh, sensibilities and designs. And his, his designs have come, like she made her so vulnerable and so, but so badass at the same time. And that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted this character who appears very strong, but is also very broken. Um, and lives in her trauma. And I think he did that really, really well because you see the softness about her, but also the hardness. And that is, that's kind of the dichotomy, dichotomy I really want with that character. And Mattia's colors just, and Becca's letters, just it's a perfect, perfect team. Everybody is just so excited and they just work together so well. Yeah, I'm really excited. colors, you know, you mentioned she's got electrical powers. That's something you, you want those to pop off the page. And he, he really does that. And yeah, Becca is a super, I see her name everywhere and, and rightly so. Yeah. She's kind of come out of nowhere in the last couple of years. She's absolutely the glue that holds these books together because she's lettering all these books. And so they're in the same universe. That they have to have a little bit of consistency. And I think she brings that in spades. Yeah, she does. As well and, as Kyle, who's, you know, a consultant on the book and Michael, who edits all these right. books as well. Yeah, Michael Basudo. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the th- one thing I want to uh, mention here, everybody. So don't think this is some really like sappy. Oh, there's no action. Kind of everybody sitting around. Woe is me kind of story. No, this is there's there's tons of action. Uh, you mentioned Moro, this sort of, you know, best intentions, but almost a fascist kind of um entity in the book. And then there's uh, another entity called the Salvation Gang. And they're sort of the opposite spectrum. Hey, we're going to save you from uh, the Salvation Gang uh, or, or from Morrow rather, uh, thus the name Salvation Gang. But maybe they don't necessarily have the, the best interest of everybody at heart. And Bibby's kind of caught in the middle. So there's there's plenty of action and, uh, in the first issue. And I imagine plenty more to come, right? Oh, absolutely. That's this is this is a superhero book. So there will always be action. There will always be humor and there will always be heart. That is um, 
if I do my job well, which I hopefully I will, you will see the the emotion um, and the trauma, but it's not going to be the center of the book. The book is going to be about the story and the fun. I mean, you're still a superhero and I want people to have fun with that. I want people to have fun with, you know, a, a girl in her mech and, and the robots and the fights in downtown San Francisco and each district we get to explore in a different, interesting way, because I think that's something that's really unique and fun about San Francisco is that the districts are cut together so significantly and they each have their own personality. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun to really play in that world in kind of a semi current, but also semi future state. It's been really fun. Yeah. That's one of the things I noticed that didn't give us specific time. And I thought that was a, a good choice. You know, this could be, you know, tomorrow, it could be, you know, a few, a few years from now, but it definitely feels current, especially with some of the issues that we talked about already. Yeah. Um, and we also have uh, we also okay. have a, a to speak to the fun. One of my favorite parts of it is that her family runs a Chinese, Mexican, American barbecue fusion restaurant called the Chi Mexicue. And so I've been having fun coming up with recipes for what that is because <laughs> it's very Actually, ridiculous, was, but they sound delicious. That was you were reading my mind because that was going to be my, my next question to go back to talking a, a little bit about Bibi. Obviously, her experiences. Um, being somewhat inspired by uh, experiences that your partners had, but this choice to go, yeah, she's Latina, she's half Latino, she's half Asian or Latina, I guess I should say, uh, has both her parents, which I love that you didn't fall into that trope of, you know, her parents are gone or one or the other or what have you. Um, yeah. So uh, that's got to be, or is that part of, you know, you putting some of yourself in the character rather than just. Yes, you know, that absolutely everything. is because I, I really wanted to if I, if I write something now, the projects that I'm working on, I really want to put some of my culture into the books, because I think as a Mexican-American, there's not a lot out there that represents me in a lot of these different spaces. And there's some amazing representation, but there can always be a little more. Mm-hmm. And um, this character, I really wanted her to feel stuck between worlds in many senses. And a lot that comes from that is I'm not biracial and neither is my partner, but she is Chinese and I am Mexican. So I know a lot about those two different cultures. And I think those two cultures, I really want to represent them a little more if I can. And so Bibi became biracial. She became Chinese and Mexican and very much an American soldier. And she also, it also allows us to deal with the culture of the Chinese culture, the Mexican culture, the aura of death with both of those. Um, they're a lot more open with the idea of death and honoring the dead than maybe an American culture is. And so in setting it in Chinatown, you kind of get more of an ancient kind of feel for the book. It gives it a little bit more um, character as she explores that part of her um, and w- when we see her, she's kind of stuck between worlds in more than one because she kind of lives in her past, but she has to deal with her present. And she's not a soldier, but she's not a civilian. She's not quite a Mexican. She's not quite, you know, Chinese. She's a soldier. She's American, but maybe people don't always look at her that way. So we're really playing a character that doesn't know who she is. She truly thought she would be dead by 30 and now she is not. And now what, what does that mean for her? Yeah. And- who am I? Who am I now? Which is another thing that I wanted to talk about. I'm glad you brought that up uh, because we all have our stuff, right? We all, maybe yeah. we're not all soldiers. Maybe we all haven't had, you know, traumatic childhoods and, and that's great. 
but we've all got stuff. We've all have things that we have gone through in our past. We all have baggage. We all have things that we can relate to, or we have trouble dealing with. And a lot of it has to do with identity at the end of the yeah. day. Like, how does this person see me? And the, the longer you live, you know, speaking to Bibi's thought that she wouldn't make it past 30, the kind of the more uh, roles, identity roles you take on, you know, you get married, then you have the identity of a husband, and then you have kids and your father or your mother and that sort of thing. And yeah, she really does seem lost and doesn't know who she is. And, and even at this, you know, more advanced stage, oftentimes we think, you know, high school years, formative years, that's when you discover who you are. But there's a lot of people that that's not necessarily true. Or something happens in your life, like you go to war and have a her- terrible experience. And you come back and now you are lost. You're not sure who you are anymore. So I think it's relatable on that level. Is that idea of identity um, and the constant search for identity that we all as humans yeah. um struggle with? Is that something that as a writer uh, you feel is a very rich uh, idea to explore? Yes, especially given where I am now in my career. I base so much of my personality of what I do for my job and I, I am very much a workaholic. And so I think unintentionally a lot of that bled into me because if I'm not the director of Power Rangers, who am I? Right, <laughs> That's right. who I have been for so long. And if, and now I'm trying to be like, well, okay, I'm not that person. What if I'm this person? And it also is very much inspired again by soldiers that I've met and come across who, no matter what kind of trauma or what kind of bad experiences they may have, the army is everything to them. They are soldiers through and through. They bleed red, white, and blue. They are so much of their life the best moments of their lives because it's so heightened are based in their experiences mm-hmm. in the army or, you know, and it's, it can be anything, right? For me, it was Power Rangers. I was with Power Rangers for so long. So much of my accomplishments and who I was, was I did this for Power Rangers, right? This is what I did. And who am I if I'm not a Power Rangers person? And who am I if I'm not a soldier, mm-hmm. right? I don't have the support system that comes with a soldier. I can't all of a sudden like get an MRE. That's my favorite comfort meal anymore. I can't just, you know, slip on my fatigues and that's going to make me feel good. Like there's little things that I think really stay with you when you're in these kind of heightened experiences for so long and just to not have them anymore. It leaves a hole inside you that you don't know how to fill. And I think that speaks to everybody. I think everybody has those moments. We're all looking for that one thing that makes us feel like we belong right somewhere and for bb she it's extra hard for her because she's coming home and she thought she knew what home was um and unfortunately once you leave it 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 changes and it moves on without you and now she's back and home is not what she remembers and the people that she loved are not who they remember and you see that especially in her relationship with her ex best friend eddie who what meant so much to her when she was younger and now they're different people and trying to get to know each other again. And it's difficult and it's hard, but eventually it's the people that stick by and try to love you no matter what. I think that make all the difference. Yeah. I think it goes back to something you were saying earlier too. You, you know, you have this identity, you go away, your identity changes, you identify as a soldier, you come back. Now you're surrounded by people who haven't lived that experience you know, and so it, you may want to talk about some of the things you've gone through as a soldier, but, you know, if somebody else hasn't gone through it, you know, it's hard for them to, to under, no matter how much they want to try. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and you just don't get it. You just like, I, I, there's things I just don't get, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, little instances that I've had with, with, you know, my partner and other people were things like, um, can't sit with a back to a door. It's just a thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, every freaking, when you walk down the street, there's a six awareness that, you know, maybe my partner will have that I don't have. And she'd be like, why are you not looking at this potential thing that might be happening? And like, I was focusing on the little strawberry, over, you know, like <laughs> right? things like that, even like tiny things that you're just like, I can't watch this show because A, B and C. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but it's just it's just A, B and C. What does that mean? Like it, little things that you don't expect that just pop up every once in a while like she has this insane love for chili mac dehydrated food and it is disgusting but she loves it right and i'm just like okay that's all you but then you know she can't pick a restaurant to save her life (laughs) you know because there's just too many options sorry my cats are just like killing each other in the living room and i have no idea why but yeah it's been it's it's been a lot of fun just Trying in, in trying to find the authenticity of BB, taking those experiences from not just my partner, but other soldiers and netting them in so that there is, you she feels real in that kind of transition. Yeah. And again, I, I think the strength of the book, at least for issue one, was that the fact that that is, is it's very apparent, doesn't take away from the action or the fun of the superhero and the mechs and the lightning powers and whatnot, but it is, it's very present. Yeah. And I think it does engender a sense of, of empathy. Like, Hey, we, you know, like our soldiers, they, they sacrifice so much for us. The least we can do is do our best to try to understand and also accept the fact that sometimes we're not going to get it. Like, like that's yeah. also a part of it. Cause I, you know, I know there's times where people, they try so hard to understand, they kind of miss the forest for the trees, you know, it's okay yeah. to be able to step back and say, I, yeah, I'm not ever going to understand, but I'm here for you in whatever way that you need. That's yeah. important also. Yeah, I think it's honestly that support that we provide because it's it's true. I mean, I I'm, I have not a soldier. I am never going to, as much as I like to think I can get into a mind of a character, I've never lived those experiences. And I think sometimes the best I could do is just be like, okay, I don't get it, but you have to do what you need to do for your thing. And I will pick the restaurant. It's, it's as much, a, it's as much for the people who love soldiers that is for, as it is for the soldiers, I think. Yeah. That's a that great, moment. that's a great point. Well, we've talked a little bit about, about the challenges, getting things right and, and, you know, trying to balance everything. This is your first book. Was there anything that was actually easier than you uh, expected? Anything that was like, oh, my God, I thought that was going to be hard. And it actually was easier than I thought. Yeah. Getting the book greenlit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, really? You want my book? Okay. I mean, this is nerve wracking for me. I'm going to be honest. I want this book to do well for obvious reasons. Um, But I'm also a debut writer. Um, I, I think I have a lot of experience in developing and creating story because that's what I did for 10 years, but nobody else knows that. How would they know that this was, that wasn't my job. So for me, it it means so much that both image and Kyle and everybody that's on board with this book was like, you know what? We trust that you're going to do a good job, that you can do this, that you can write this book. And it continually surprises me that I, I'm getting that support from people. I did not expect that at all. I thought there would be a lot more challenge to um, to trust that I 
have the chops to narratively tell this kind of story. And it's been humbling and also confidence building to have people say, no, this, we like this story. We think you can do well with this and here, take a stab. We'll support you. Have this amazing artist do this work with you. <laughs> have these incredible letters. Have like Kyle and Michael who are so busy work on this with you so that we can try and really make this what we think it could be. That's been really well. And then just having the artists just do amazing work. Like I French gets very little notes from me. <laughs> he just does what he does. And the colors just come out the way they do. It's amazing how it feels like he's in my head sometimes when he just reads the scripts and he interprets what I do. Right now, um, I, I may have missed it in the solicits. Is, is this a limited series? I, is it an this ongoing? Is ongoing? This is okay. ongoing for now. So please order as much as you can so we can keep it going. But yeah. Yeah, that does bring me uh, to my next point, everybody, which is the, the uh, final order cutoff for this is a little earlier than uh, a, a book might be. And I, yeah, image is sort of starting to do that. And I think it has to do with paper shortage and making sure the books are on time. So it's going to be in comic shops Wednesday, August 3rd. But the final order cutoff is the 11th of July. Right. So now's the time. Uh, Melissa and I specifically are recording this the last week of June. So you have plenty of time. You got like two and a half weeks to let your shop know the best way you can help out Melissa and yes. the rest of the creative team and your shop. Because remember, Image is not doing multiple printings anymore because of the paper shortage. So if you want this book, and believe me, you do, it's an amazing title, you need to tell your shop, hey, order me a copy. Order me two copies. This is the cover I want. This, you know, I want both covers. What, you know, whatever it might be, now's the time to tell your shop that you want the book. You have until, I'd say, July 10th, because your shop has to submit the order on the 11th to let them know you want the book. You don't want to miss out on this. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and as we're winding down here, Melissa, I'll throw it open to you. Anything, do you have any other projects, anything you want to tease, anything you want to share with listeners, anything that we haven't covered that you want to mention? Um, you know, I do have other products, but I can't really talk about them. <laughs> I will say, um, keep an eye out for the next few weeks. There's a couple that are announcing that I'm very excited about. Um, I will be at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, promoting Dead Lucky, as well as some other unannounced stuff that I'm really excited to share. And I will be at C2E2 as well, um, promoting Dead Lucky, as well as some other fun stuff. So um, I would just say, keep your ears open. Uh, I have some really fun stuff. Dead Lucky is not the only project that I'm really excited about, but it is one of the ones I'm most excited about. And I'm so, so grateful um, for the opportunity to tell the story. It's and it'll be the, so it'll fun. be the first one that, that is out there for everybody to experience. Yeah. Right? And in terms of, yeah. And in terms of the massive verse, like this is the robot book. So if you're, if you come here looking for robots, that this is the book that's got them. Uh, BB loves her Max. And so we have the uh, amazing ghost who is a lot of fun and maybe possibly more eventually. But uh, Moro's got some great mechs. So if you're looking for some Toku inspired mechs, this is the book for that. Yeah. And, and the, again, French's line work is amazing. Matthias colors, amazing. So yeah, you definitely want this book. Like just order a copy, pre-order a copy of issue one. And if it's not your thing, then hey, it's not your thing. But uh, I mean, if you love superheroes, if you love mechs you'll have good story uh, i think you'll dig it so i will also be at san Diego comic-con as listeners know so hopefully i'll get a chance to run to you melissa i won't Absolutely. be at c2e2 and i'm really bummed about that because i know you guys are doing a special lockport thing 
Um, yes. I have a family family vacation trip that week. Yeah. So it's actually the weekend after Dead Lucky releases. So um, oh wow, so that'll be your probably your first signing. You have giant lines. People want to get their Dead Lucky. Well, I don't know about that, but I, I'm just <laughs> I am excited about um, sharing my love for the book and actually being able to talk about everything in it because there are some surprises uh, in the book that I'm hoping that people get excited about because I definitely really love them. Yeah, I uh, and here's the thing. Like, I know I'm sure you're nervous now, and as the release date gets closer, you'll probably get more nervous. Yeah. But you know, once it drops, I think you know you'll feel a little bit of weight lift off. Like it, it's going to be out there, and the book is what it is, and I think it'll be great. Because uh, again, it's it's fantastic, and and thank you again for letting me read the the preview copy. It's it's really no, thank good you everybody. for taking the time. I appreciate it. I'm honestly really excited, and I'm really excited to talk to you about it. So thank you for, for the opportunity. It's yeah, been my pleasure. so much fun. Well, you mentioned other, other projects, uh, and we are definitely used to having people on that are not allowed to talk about them yet. Uh, <laughs> but if anybody wants to follow you on social media, so when those announcements do come down the line, they're, uh, they're aware of them. Where's the best place online to, uh, to follow you and your work? Um, you can follow me. The, my most vocal is Twitter. It's Misty underscore Flores on Twitter and also on Instagram. Those are the two that I tend to be more, uh, more fan focused in terms of focusing on the projects that I'm doing, but definitely keep an eye on the Twitter because that will, you'll hear it there first. Great. And uh, I'll be sure and let you know everybody, as I usually do when new projects are coming from Melissa and they get announced. I'll also put links to the Instagram and the Twitter in the show notes as well. So if you're having trouble finding her, just go to the show notes, click there and give her a follow. So uh, again, Melissa, thanks so much. Uh, Best of luck with the book. I think it's fantastic. I think it should do really well. And I look forward to what other projects you have coming down the line. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been so fun. I can't believe I said the Twitter like I'm a 50 year old person. All good. So uh, for you listeners, we want to thank you for your support and for listening as always. Don't forget, final order cutoff is July 11th. So make sure you tell your shops you need the book before then. It'll be out on August 3rd. So thanks for listening as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.